Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from Loop, and each week I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. This week, I'm speaking with James Politilo, who was Head of People Development at Fuller, Smith & Turner until mid-2018, and author of the recent post, Is L&D Sleepwalking into Extinction?, which we'll be discussing in this episode. But before we get started, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do give us a rating on your podcast app of choice so that others can find us. And thank you. Now let's get into it. James, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Thank you very much, David. It's great to be part of the conversation. Uh, now, you recently published an article in Training Journal titled 10 Reasons Why Learning and Development is Sleepwalking into Extinction. And I spent much of the time reading it whilst nodding along, not so much in amusement, but in dismay. Before we get into some of the main points of the article, what was the trigger for you writing it, James? I think, as with any of these things, there wasn't one trigger. It was a myriad of reasons. Uh, I, you know, One of the things is I've uh, hit 20 years of working in and around the learning profession. I think you, you know, naturally look back at your time in the industry and mm. how things have changed or have not. And I do get frustrated that sometimes I don't think we've changed as much as we should have done or other comparable functions or industries. So I think that was, you know, one of the triggers. I think the other thing is that there's a, I see a massive opportunity for learning at the moment. So businesses are crying out for things that could sit in the learning space. So is that uh, we've got skill shortages, that we're having to innovate quicker, you know, skills half-lives and various other things happening. And I think that's a real opportunity for the learning function to step into that space. But also at the same time, there's a blurring of the boundaries between traditional silos. So in the past, you might have had IT take this part of the silo, communication take this, product development take this, operations or line management. And as we're moving into a more connected world, I think everyone is potentially heading to the same space. And if we don't do something to take that mantle and step into what organizations are asking for, because what they're not asking for is courses or content. What they're asking for is business solutions to help their people perform better, to help people on board better, etc. And how do we step in and make sure that we remain relevant, remain part of that conversation? So I think it was those number of things that drew me to think, actually, you know, there's a real need there. And then I stepped back and thought, why isn't it happening? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people, including yourself and various other people out there who are leading conversations in this area but we don't necessarily always see that progress. And, you know, I start to think about, are we talking in an echo chamber? You know, we're having really great conversations with a set number of people who are all engaged in this. But then you have conversations with people outside and you think, you know, that's maybe not as pervasive across learning professionals in every organization as it needs to be. So what's stopping that? And how can we unblock those things? So probably long-winded answer, but that's how I got to it. No, no, not long-winded at all. It's uh, it, it's great to get the the detail. And um, you and I are similar in that we've been in the profession a similar amount of time. I've been in uh, twenty years or so. Uh, and as you were saying that, I I I I, I thought something that I I'd felt for a while, which is yeah, I've I've been here twenty years. We don't seem to have advanced. It seems to be new modes of delivery, but the same old stuff, um, which, which, which I think is, you know, it's the same old focus, which is the problem, because I think that, as you've just stated there, we are expected now 
to deliver business solutions, not necessarily learning content. And there does seem to be this mismatch. But before we go too much further, and just in case, especially because of the title, the listener is wearily thinking, oh no, here we go, some L&D bashing, some more, more L&D bashing. I want to take a, a moment to, to reflect on us for a moment and maybe the spotlight mm-hmm. more on you james because you've, okay. you've written this but i wonder how many of the 10 things that you've outlined in your article are things that you've done yourself perhaps mistakes that you'd recurringly made and now looking at the profession almost at 20 years saying no wait a minute this has to stop how much of it starts with you us i think we've all you know across 20 years i've made lots of mistakes and i think we've you know fallen into lots of different different you know rabbit holes or you get involved in something you get really energized about the solution you're putting together and i think that's the one i'm probably most guilty of falling into mm. is getting really excited by something new yeah. and and you know sometimes you get driven by the newness of something um but i think it's the ability to recognize when that's happening to you you know and you know i remember back 15 years ago doing my first e-learning implementation into a business and then Suddenly you get to a stage and you think everyone's now coming and asking for e-learning. Isn't that great? And then you're like, no, it probably isn't, mm. you know, but because you suddenly get that that becomes a way or mode of delivery. Um, and, you know, I, I've been there, I've been part of running potential programs for the top 5% and that's great. And you can roll through that and you're rolling out these programs and you're helping certain people in the business. But, uh, you know, I think it's having that continual improvement mindset that I am still making mistakes every day. Mm. We all are. But it's, it's trying to learn from those mistakes and thinking about in the new world, how do we approach those things differently? So, yeah, there are plenty of numerous mistakes. And I'm sure if you speak to colleagues past, present, etc., they can list off hundreds of them as well. But I think it's all of us trying to recognize that what we are doing needs to continually evolve. We shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are absolutely fantastic things about e-learning courses. There are fantastic things about face-to-face programs about developmental programs but there is no one size fits all and it's highly unlikely what we were doing 10 years ago is still the right fit for now it may be the case but i think it's that continual improvement but yeah hold my hands up i have made mistakes i will continue (laughs) to make mistakes no, I, I, I'm the same. I think of uh, of all the days I cut my teeth in the classroom, and and James, I run class uh, courses because I liked running courses. I love the immediate feedback, the immediate response from people. Yeah, and I mistook the the look on people's faces getting a concept or enjoying a moment for them having learned and I, like and then then making transformational change. There's there, there's all sorts that that I would I'd hold my hand up, but I think like you, he's kind of looking looking back with an eye forward, thinking, is that is this still now enough? And I wonder whether, um, well, I do still see that that a lot of um people coming up through the ranks are making the same mistakes I did, don't have the focus because I mean you and I have had senior learning and development positions, and I and I will tell you that. My 10 years in the in the classroom didn't prepare me for the conversations I would have at board level. People aren't interested in bums on seats and what training courses can be run. They're not even happy in, on with your um, happy sheets, but they certainly want an entire country ready for digital transformation. And I thought that I've, never, I've never seen a training course or, or e-learning that can uh, that can help with that. But uh, anyway, let's 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 get straight into the uh, the, the meat of the content here. Um, many of your points 
cut straight to the heart of learning and development as a, as a profession. I could take any number of them to kick us off, but I'm gonna start with number three. Companies generally pay lip service to learning and take an initiative-based approach. What do you mean by this and how have you seen it manifest? I think it comes back to the point you just touched upon about how learning is perceived and what organizations really want. And still in the past, you know, if I go back to my very first learning role, you know, I got into learning due to an initiative. I fell into learning because the year 2000 was about to happen and uh, we, every computer system in the world was going to fall over and we needed to roll out new computer systems into the business. So therefore, there was a training initiative to roll out a new system and it was classroom-based and we took people through you know, a simulated environment, et cetera. And that, that was great. Mm. You know, that, that took people through that approach. But then as I went on in my career, I think you realized that too often learning is called in at the end of a process to roll something out or there is something happening in the news or there's some legislation or a change that means we need to roll out an an initiative that is going to have a short-term impact, may not have sustainability, may achieve lots of great things for the business, but isn't really touching the heart of what makes the business tick. Mm. What I also learned is when you are stood in the classroom, you know, Uh, system-based training keeps you very real because if you don't know what you're talking about, it goes wrong pretty quickly. As you get more into soft skills and nuanced facilitation, that changes because it's more of a conversation. There's not necessarily a right or wrong. So you get different skills that you build up through through your background. But you you also find that if you're stood in front of people who are doing the job day in, day out, and you're rolling out something or you're pushing a cultural message or an organizational message or a leadership message that doesn't resonate with the business. You pretty much realize that early on, you need to get into the understanding what it's really like. And I got into learning coming from the front line, Mm. but you need to understand and stay true to actually, you've got to help those people perform in their roles. And if you're rolling out an initiative or something that's been dreamed up in an ivory tower, and depending on your organizational structure, that may be in your country, in a different one, in the same building, but you're, you're rolling out something that doesn't resonate. As a learning professional, very early on, I said, well, actually, my job is to try and help connect that, mm-hmm. try and link back to organizational purpose and try and make sure that we're actually helping people do their jobs better. And I just see far too often you get, you know, and we, you know, you talk about the order taker or whatever else, but someone has decided that learning is going to roll out an initiative or there's going to be a leadership development program because our CEOs are in businesses for a shorter tenures, so therefore they want to make an impact. And one of the many ways that those things will be done is we're going to have a cultural change. We're going to change how, how our leaders lead in the business or whatever it happens to be, and that initiative will be rolled out. And you'll see it in all sorts of things. So you've probably seen lots of business doing uh, unconscious bias training recently, mm. or there's wellness is currently on the agenda and there's lots of initiatives going on on, that, on those. My question is, are those really sustainable parts of the business change? And are we looking at the whole cultural aspect? Because you might be pushing messages that actually you haven't changed the whole system that sits beyond learning. And I think a good learning professional doesn't just take home the learning page. They actually are really involved in the business and and there to make sure that the change that we're trying to make and affect in a business has 
resonance with the people who are having to make that work on the front line or in the businesses and are sustainable, are not a one hit and will will have real value to the business. And I don't think that is common enough across all businesses that we have that approach. Too often it's, we'll ask the learning team to roll out some training. And of course, people are very happy to go and do that. It keeps Mm. us busy. It keeps us sustainable. It gives us contact back into the business. But I think there's far too often we're just the end of the process and and rolling things out. And, you know, that happened 20 years ago. It still happens today. I think that, uh, first of all, it's a a, a very valid point. I certainly recognise it. And it's like window dressing when uh, when when the rest of the store's a mess. <laughs> you don't you don't put you don't just just make the window look pretty and then and then convince every customer that uh, that that what they've walked into is uh, is 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 that the window. I, I mean, I remember uh, rolling out some uh, performance management training at uh, Cordia. I think it must have been at uh, at Lehman Brothers, and it was stuff that that had landed quite well in a previous job. And I got up there and I did this. Um, uh, some would, I mean, it, it looked, I, I felt as if I was dying on my feet uh, throughout uh, most of it. Um, and it was so out of sync with the organization's culture uh, that one person said to me, when do we tell them they're crap? <laughs> and that was it. And, you know, you go, and I, I think that's to your point. I mean, systemically, there. I mean, it was it was so flawed within there. Um, I, I mean, we don't have to ask questions about what happened to, uh, to Lehman's, uh, but um, it it was so the wrong thing to do. It was not. It was. It was. It was not the the either the aspiration for for that organisation or uh, or what was actually required. So um, I I certainly recognise that uh, that uh, what you're saying there and how if we're not if we're not involved in actually understanding what what's really going to be going on or what people are truly expected to do. Then it is it's window dress, uh, window dressing, and I think that uh, that um, you're right. I think it's time to move on. It's we pop that in room one hundred and one. <laughs> yeah, it, it's definitely action over impact as well. Yeah. So you know you're there, someone you're seen to be doing something in the organisation. It's mm. also one of my pet hates is looking at how learning is perceived or presented by an organisation. So you know if you take a trawl through an annual report and see, you know we're reported on inputs. So number of days of training delivered, number of e-learning courses, number of hours, you know, would your sales function be presented on number of meetings held or whatever? Of course it would. But we're still, we're still viewed as not having a real impact on the business. And I think Mm. that fundamentally underpins how we will just be, you know, here's something that someone can go and deliver rather than really saying, okay, how do we get into the meaty bits of business of understanding Mm. what is it that we need to do to chase sales, improve customer service, to innovate quicker, all the real challenges that we're Mm. facing. The stuff that's really important to the organisations that we work for, which leads nicely on to uh, to the next point then, because uh, another, another point in your article is that the training model is not fit for purpose. pretty contentious on the outset what do you mean by this um i, I mean that and i yeah, you know, i recently did a talk as well about courses and content are killing your learning strategy so i tend mm. to like to say uh like contentious things because yeah it provokes debate and you know yeah. I've, I've had some feedback on the article from people saying well what, what else do you do but you know plan measure review etc and i'm not saying plan measure review is wrong but what i'm saying is that you know 
you still see annual appraisals. They're, they're hopefully, you know, a lot of them are mo- you know, people moving away from annual appraisals where people ask for people's training needs, which go into a nice big wish list and then mm. may or may not be delivered. And, you know, the worst example I saw, you know, confessing what happened within uh, an organization I worked in, my team went back to uh, try and engage with people around these needs and found that, you know, they were actually, you know, almost six months out of date by then, yeah. half the people had left. So your your input of that is it's not quick enough in today's world to, to go through that process. It also starts from a premise of learning you know learning so often becomes the police of what can be rolled out not just the learning teams but everyone across the business you know i've sat in teams where you know senior managers have gone line by line through learning to decide what should be the messaging within that and i understand the sentiment and what they're trying to do but actually if your senior team are worried about the lines of an e-learning program or line worried about the lines of what goes into course they're probably not focusing on the right things yeah. for the business. Um, but you know, it comes back to okay, we've got subject matter experts out there. Why are we pulling that information back in to roll and push it back out in a not timely enough way to have an impact on the business? So mm. I don't think we're very good at establishing training needs or learning needs, and I don't think we're quick enough at rolling out a solution. Often, you know, certainly in a large organization, a global organization. You know, you gather all the facts, you analyze it, you get some consultants in, you build a package, you pilot it, you roll it back out two years before the initial idea that you're trying to tackle where that learning's impacting. So I think mm. we need to get better at creating an infrastructure and architecture that actually allows a business to learn and share knowledge more quickly and to impart knowledge and information more quickly across the business. And I think that's what I'm doing is looking at it and saying, that get information in or analyze needs, get information in, design something, roll it out, doesn't seem like the right solution. If we look yeah. at other industries that have disrupted themselves, you know, um, I, you know, I'm driven by the, you know, the difference between service and experience. And I think we sometimes mix those up in learning. You know, I want a really good service. I want something to be frictionless. And then we also have experience where people are putting experiences into things which actually shouldn't have experience you know why why in a you know we talk about learning being a great experience out of the classroom sometimes you don't want experience you just need the information when you need it to solve your Mm. problem and that's around having a service that delivers the information to you when you need if i'm coming out and having a great learning experience because you're helping me tackle my innermost thoughts my beliefs you're helping to change my behaviors you might want to create more of an experience but I think the whole thing just actually needs relooking at. And we as a, you know, there's a lot of intelligent people out there in the industry. And I think we should just take a step back and say, how do we rebuild this? How do we make sure that inf- people have the information they need because they have a point, a performance problem at the point where they need that? How do we recognize that actually I want to change someone's behavior and do that over a period of time? So I think traditional models need shaking up. If I look at something like banking, and I look at if you've ever opened a bank banking uh, account with a modern bank, so one of the challenger banks, it's a seamless experience. Mm-hmm. If you then go to one of the traditional banks and say, okay, I want to do the same thing, you find it's more clunky inherently yeah. because they've based it on a previous model. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a real opportunity for us not to throw everything out, but to look at it and go, if we were to start again, 
what would we do? Or how would this work? And that, that's just around innovation. That's not about being critical. That's just mm. looking at it and saying, how can we make this the best we can be? How can we identify learning needs in a more agile way? How can we get solutions out to people more quickly? How can we drive personalization? How can we really make adaptive learning work? Those, those are real challenges. I don't think anyone's solved brilliantly. I think there's still work to go. But I think it would be far better to get in the space of all of us trying to solve those problems collaboratively rather than really arguing about which model you know should be one or the other. Mm-hmm. I think let's get into solution focus, helping businesses, helping individuals. And I think that, uh, um, first of all, I th- I'd say that uh, how you ended there, I think, is what it's all about. We've got to be having the right conversations um, at the outset. I've said for a while now that, and it's my personal belief, that the the reason that learning and development is not aligned with any organization, if they're not aligned, is because of the first conversation. You take an actual business or performance problem and then you translate it into a training or a learning need. And at which point you disassociate it from the actual problem. When you create a training needs analysis, you aggregate common needs to a level of abstraction and you send it back down as a standardized program for which no one can see the value. We've all been on programs where people say, I don't know why I'm here. The majority of people won't, won't know why they're there. We've missed, we've missed the need either because it was months ago or it's months away. And it's so unlikely that we're, we'll hit the mark. I think to, to your point before, a lot of learning needs analysis or training needs analysis is simply resource allocation, limited L&D resource allocation over a period of time um, <laughs> for which may not uh, uh, hit the needs of the people because, as you said, they may have left the organisation. We do need a, a, a shake up. I think I'm uh, I'm excited about the um, uh, data and evidence based practice becoming um, more prevalent in learning and development. Choosing to act on things because of data starts with business and performance data. Evidence, by, because it's validated with the people who have the need. Agile um, uh, approaches to finding solutions, so it's with and for the client, and prototyped in no time at all. Solving real problems at the speed of business. I think that what you described, or how I've interpreted that, is that one, one of the things that I keep seeing in learning and development is emerging practice being real, is the, the terms of emerging practice being re- just rebranding old practice. When you say there about uh, about experience, when when I talk to Danny Seals about uh, about um, uh, experience design, he talks about people's work experience. There, everyone's having an experience within the organisation. So, how do we understand that experience and then enhance that experience so that they have um, better outcomes? They have better experiences at the whole. But when we start trying to retrofit the word experience into what we really mean is, mean is instructional design, it all falls apart and looks ridiculous because it's simply a rebrand of the old way. I'm with you that it does, it does seem that we need, uh, and, may, and maybe this is just going to be the natural order of things, that there'll be a shake up and then those who are able to address the real needs of the organisations will therefore... Uh, <laughs> they won't sleepwalk into extinction uh, and uh, those perhaps with the, that aren't ready to make that move or haven't developed themselves in order to, to to evolve as the practice and expectations have evolved may fall away 
Am I anywhere near the mark as far as your thinking was? Yeah, absolutely. I I, th- I think, you know, the extin- extinction bit is, you know, quite dramatic or can be viewed as quite dramatic, but someone's going to spill that space. And if yeah. we're not doing it ourselves, you know, so absolutely we can't just rebadge or rebrand or repaint what we've done in the past. We need mm. to look at this differently. And, you know, I I still hear people say things that drive me mad, like, you know, Oh, compliance learning, you just have to do it. I'm like, really? Why? <laughs> what, what, where else? You know, it's, if, it, even your tax return has got better, but compliance yeah. learning hasn't really got that much better. And it's like, let's step back and see what we're trying to achieve. Compliance is about, you know, is it still about passing on the liability to an employee if mm-hmm. they harm themselves or run off with someone's data or whatever that they can be sued rather than the company? Well, I don't think that'll actually stand up in court. Mm-hmm. If we've got, issues where actually there isn't really a safe system of work and you haven't looked at that properly and you know pete i I still see courses that are full of the 1974 health and safety at work act why do people care that doesn't help you to be more safe you know we we, i see see things and think well actually i you know i've got someone in their mid-30s who's got into work and hasn't managed to burn themselves to death yet so what is it that we're actually doing? And I think we're sometimes ticking boxes rather than looking and saying, this becomes something different. This mm-hmm. is about creating a culture of safety or a culture of compliance or a culture where people care about data. Now, that's not necessarily learning. That's more like a public health campaign. Yeah. But we still tick the box through compliance learning, and that becomes almost a badge of what people think learning is. So it sets yeah. a really low bar for us in terms of, experience you know step away from that but you you know it's we we should be there to really look at what is the business trying to achieve and are the things we're doing just wasting people's time how many hours a year are wasted by the economy of people doing compliance learning for for what value are the better ways we can do that and you know those are things i would want to test and say actually you know how how can we do things better than that how can we have more of an impact on the business well, if we're going to talk about how we might want to do things better uh, and have a better impact on the business, this is a point in which I'd like to explore the L&D skill set. It's another of your points on your article that the L&D function needing to evolve its skill set. What's your take on this? I, th- I think you've mentioned one of the really important ones around data, mm. you know, and, and also we've touched upon things like performance consulting. So really yeah. getting into the business and understanding what the business is there to do. And, and, and being able to analyze that data and, and analyze data in a way not just to prove that what we're doing adds value. Because mm. I think in the past, you know, if we talk about L&D protecting budgets, because we've heard in, you know, all the stories about we go through a downturn and L&D and marketing get slashed. Now that's moved to L&D get slashed because marketing have got far better at data and proving their value back to the business. So, you know, stepping in and saying, how do we really understand and interrogate data to understand the business problem, the impact we have? You know, you'll hear it's hard to prove the impact of learning development. But I, I absolutely agree with you. It's not if you step in and really understand the business mm. problem and you set out and keep yourself clean at the beginning. So I think there's a whole different thing around, you know, those things. There's also something about thinking how do we get people to understand and engage with learning and, and help them through the myriad of what's out there? There is so much content out there and it's good, bad and indifferent. And mm. as a learning professional, we don't have to know everything. We don't have to be the experts in the industry. But what we need to do is be able to say, okay, how do we surface to people? Or how do we get people to tackle 
challenges. So digitization in business, there is not necessarily a solution or off-the-shelf course that we can put in or a, a point-to-point solution. So how do we we put in something and, and become facilitators of conversations? How do we mm. bring knowledge experts in? Just as you're doing through this podcast, you're helping people to find the way through a problem that is not a A to B solution. Mm. It is a thorny, difficult issue that will be different in every one of our organizations we're working in. But it's only by having these in-depth conversations we can start to think about our own practice. And as learning professionals, we're moving far more to that end. And if I look back, you know, over 20 years, people stood and it was chalk and talk at the front of the classroom and the expert says, and, you know, I worked in a startup business and thought one week, I've rolled out five different courses this week. What makes me the expert on this fifth different subject I'm training out? Um, and, you know, that, that just seems a bit ridiculous, but, you know, that that's what was needed at the time. But it, it's saying that, you know, as we go through and we, we look at a business, we say, Right. How do we share that best practice? How do we move from being chalk and talk at the start of the classroom? It then moved in my career to facilitating knowledge in a classroom and facilitating ideas. The thing I now talk about is facilitating an organization. And I think that's part of the role of the future of L&D is to help facilitate an organizational conversation, organizational knowledge. So we can take those skills that we've originally had and evolve them into the future and say, not everything out but the days of us standing in the front of the classroom are going to be numbered you know and that's probably not what the future of learning looks like yeah. and and you know i i have numerous conversations with people say oh i love what you do i'd love to get into learning and development and when you have that conversation you know their value set is around developing people and seeing people grow and mm-hmm. i think for me in unless you're in a particular type of organization that's small and you're really close to the line I don't think you get that from learning. I think you get the ability to help develop everyone's skill set. But mm. I've got more of that personal drive of I like seeing people grow and develop by being a line manager than I ever got by being a head of an L&D function mm. because you're not close enough to people. You don't see those changes over time. So I, I think there's a value set change in terms of what are we there to do, but also skills, myriad of skills of you know engagement, data, yeah, curation of content, mm-hmm. being savvy about technology, being able to create, whether we call it experience or whatever, being, being able to create a service stroke experience that adds value, being able to be agile, develop products. There's so many different things that become part of what L&D do. And those skills are in our business already. We just need to get closer to those functions and learn from mm-hmm. them. And I think that uh, I, I can't disagree with anything you've said there. And I would uh, I would just add that the the mindset of, keep out of the classroom as much as possible because whilst you are dealing with 12 people at a time you're not having the impact that you think you're having we've got to think bigger we've got to have the right conversations from the outset as you said access to data uh, and understand what that data really means by um uh, by validating that so that your practice is actually evidence-based experiment to try to move the needle using data as your um uh, as your barometer as your benchmark uh, and then to know that you're doing the right stuff, and then yeah, you've you've listed a, a, a whole heap of uh, of skills, which which means that it's not as as cut and dry as it used to be. I mean, we used to see a job description, and uh, God forbid there'll be still be job descriptions that exist the same way. And the tools maturity benchmark reports back it up. The L and D are strong in classroom delivery, 
in um, uh, learning administration, in coaching and mentoring and project management and weak in practically every other area, which means that, that we're, we're still limiting our, our own impact in any organization if we're not developing ourselves more broadly and that you know that said there of of the the tools maturity uh, graph that i mentioned more often than perhaps <laughs> the, the listener should allow me um that that means that there are still 17 or 18 elements that are that are, are still up for grabs so um yeah still some still some moving to do there but um Continuing the, with uh, the article and, uh, and the, 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 the focus of this conversation, a line that really resonated with me um, is, as with any industry facing disruption, there are a huge number of individuals and organizations with a vested interest in maintaining the status quo. And on a previous podcast, I discussed with Barbara Thompson that it feels like there's an L&D cartel that is doing pretty well out of the way things are. Were we being too cynical? I don't think, well, I don't think we are because I think in any industry there is always, you know, take Thomas Cook, you know, they're mm. invested in bricks, bricks and mortar, you know, you've got a business model there, you, it, you have to make some pretty radical changes that are going to upset a lot of people to have kept that business sustainable. Those changes weren't necessarily made. Um, if you look again in learning and development, and I've had conversations with organizations that will admit this uh, sort of behind the scenes, but they've invested in systems, architecture, content, that the ROI is years and years in the payback. Mm. So, you know, you're looking at three to five years to pay back on the content they've developed and then want to sell to their clients. So, you know, even if that content's not great, they've got a vested interest in, in, in pushing that out. There's also, you know, lots and lots of learning professionals who do like the classroom and, you know, will can maintain that status quo. It might be a number of years of thinking, I've got another five, 10 years, I can get away with doing this because this is what I enjoy to do. I'm adding value. I'm impacting those 12 people's lives in the classroom. I, I'm having that impact. So there is a huge amount, as in any industry, of people who are bought into the existing way of operating. Mm. And internally, you know, you still have splits of teams that have an e-learning team and a face-to-face learning team that are split by delivery function. And again, that drives a vested interest in those people maintaining that status quo because actually, again, you know, cobbler's children, we're not always the best at learning in learning. Exactly. And the amount of times I've said, oh, I want development on this. And I remember having a response early on in my career of, oh, okay, you can run a training session on that. So basically, you go and self-learn this, and then you can share your knowledge with the rest of the business, which is sort of social learning in its, uh, in its infancy. But you know, how often are, are there really great learning courses to help someone say, my value and skill set is around impacting people in the classroom. I now need to be delivering this holistic solution that includes all of these different things. I may be a single person in a business and I've got to have all of these skill sets. Or I might be in an organization that actually acts more as a procurement function. Mm. And so my model is just to go and buy in courses. That's how my whole business model is set up. That's how my budgeting model, that's how my existence is set up. Suddenly you're asking me to create a company-based learning culture. That's scary. That, you know, th- there's going to be people who find that really challenging. And one of the things I find really interesting is 
we're trying to change as an industry. So, um, you know, I, I push back and I, you know, a lot of what the CIPD do, I will challenge. So the fact, you know, uh, to talk about initiatives earlier and they still have their awards, you know, nearly everything is an initiative unless it's an apprentice program. And I think we just reinforce those messages of we're not initiative-based function. But one of the things they've done really well recently is change the content of their learning programs. Mm. So you've got, you're trying to boil from the bottom up the industry of having loads of really keen people coming through, getting qualified in their CIPD qualifications, but then they come through and they hit the, the real world of work. And I have lots of conversations with people who are in that space and do quite a bit of mentoring for the people coming through and having their first jobs in L&D. And they're finding that they are hitting this almost historic system. Mm. And that, that's quite resistant to the change in the ideas they've got. So, you know, I think there's lots of things going to change the industry. But whilst you've got this big set of people, you know, whether it's suppliers, whether it's industry bodies, whether it's uh, people in senior roles in learning development or HR or elsewhere, or even your senior board members who've never seen anything different. Mm. I think that becomes really hard to break that inertia. Well, I, well that leads me nicely onto the final point that, uh, that I'd like to, uh, to point to from your article. And that's why a point where you state that true success makes us relatively invisible. It doesn't play to the ego. Now, I recognise this and wonder whether this point that you've made really is the elephant in the room that needs addressing. I think you touched upon it earlier. You know, we've all been there, or I've been there, and you've been there in our roles at the front of the classroom. And it's great. It, you know, it's energising. You get lots of, you know, you get known. I remember being in organisations where, you know, to the point of nearly everyone knows your name because you've done yeah. the induction for that organisation. And, and it creates a certain amount which of you know endorphins and and various things that make you feel good and and people people really like that about the role stepping back and you know i talked about it earlier facilitating an organization is about stepping back and almost becoming probably the wrong term but the puppet master that's you know helping connect everyone together that helping put other people at the forefront that is making a champion out of everyone else mm. and you may not get the accolade yourself or the same adrenaline rush of you know, standing up and presenting at the, you know, the company conference or whatever it happens to be. But I, I think it's about if you can strip it back and say, what's the real value set? Is this an ego trip or is this about impact? And if I can step back and this is making a difference to people, because at the heart, you know, 99% of learning people I've met really want to help people develop. There is that underpinning desire there that it's helping them reshape that in a new way so that it's not about the me 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 at the front of the room or the what i've achieved but it's what the organization's achieved but the other risk of that is if you come back to the protecting of budget and actually if we're not seen to be doing something in the same way that people currently expect that's a risk for people so you know there's there's a protectionism and an ego bit that's that stops people really saying okay how are we going to impact the business and get the business to recognize the value of what we do? And that's a real challenge. It really is. But how do we help people on that journey? I think that's what we all should be working together on to try and I make it easier. I completely agree there, James. I think that this is where we can't go with a muddled world. The, the old way of justifying our, um, uh, our existence and the, the, the money that was spent based on how many people attended a program or how many training hours were spent 
is old world, we can't then kind of have this this hybrid world. It's almost as if you have to look to the you have to look at the true impact that you've made, but almost perhaps show you're working and say, and this is how we did that uh, in and you know in order to move the needle. Um, now coming up to the uh, the end of the the, the conversation, James, um, and recognizing that you've done these ten points, so so not to um, uh, to go over these again. I wonder for anybody coming through the ranks or or the listener here thinking, yeah, look, I want to make sure that I'm not going to sleepwalk to to extinction or, uh, or yeah, maybe extinction's a little strong. Um, what advice would you give to people? Where would you where would you point them? I would point them to getting close to what's important to your business. I think you've got two customers in learning and development. You've got your end user, your learner. So how are you going to make this relevant to them? And I've seen a lot of people build great solutions, but it hasn't got a relevance or a purpose to the end user. So I think you've got two things. How are you going to help your business achieve its performance? So you've got to understand that. You've got to get close to that. You've got to see your impact. And then how are you going to, where a learner is looking for information, either a point solution or actually they've got a higher purpose. And I talk a lot about purposeful learning, that we only really go and learn something if we have that innate purpose. Mm. But how are you going to create that purpose for your learners to be able to go and access the information they want or identify the skills that are going to help them to be part of the future? And I think you're that bridge between those, those two things to make those people have the skills they need, recognize they need it, and take that on board. So I would, I would get close to both ends of the business, the strategy and, and the front line of your business, and be really realistic about what you can achieve. Don't overpromise and underliver. Get in there and really have some impact with starting with those things that will help the business move. Great. And James, um, finally, if the listener wants to follow your work and connect, how can they do so? Uh, they can predominantly find me on LinkedIn. So it's James Politilo, difficult to spell, but I'm sure it'll be in somewhere to find online. Uh, and if not, uh, you can follow our company website, which is thelearningeffect.co.uk. Wonderful. And we'll put the links in the show notes as well as the link to the article we've been discussing. James, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for being a guest on the Learning and Development Podcast. Brilliant. I've enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, David. Whether we like it or not, our profession is being challenged and it's likely to be challenged a great deal more. But as we mentioned at the start of the show, it's well intended and with a will to bring everybody along, as uncomfortable as it may be. If you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning, connect on LinkedIn or Facebook, for which you'll find the links in the show notes. Goodbye for now.